For thousands of years, we have known that unicorns are the most fuckable mythical creature and that the Earth is flat. Zack and Jesse beg to differ. Welcome to the Round Earthers Society. All right. We're here. We're ready to do it. Jesse, are you fucking set? I'm good. I'm good. Should we act more professional since we have a professional guest on? Jesse, <laughs> you, you have to understand that okay, okay. part of our charm, mm. part of that special X factor that makes us stars, uh, it's our authenticity. It's our rawness. That's what I've always thought, actually. We're just raw dogging this whole thing. <laughs> Poor guy. He's already, like, second guessing. He's like, I'm I thrilled on- to be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I came on this podcast? I mean, seriously. Welcome to the Round Earther Society. I'm Zach. I'm Jesse. And we're here to party. <laughs> All right. We are joined today by uh, someone I actually have been looking forward to talking to. Uh, Ryan from uh, Pop Psych. Is it Pop Psych 101? Or? Yes, it is. Okay, yep. awesome. I did listen to your show. I just want to make sure I got it right. I appreciate uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, uh, we're very happy to have you here. Um, so do you, how, how long have you been doing the show? So I've been doing the show, um, let's see, um, probably a little bit over a year, year and a half. Uh, yeah, that feels about right. Um, in different capacities. I started out with a co-host and now I've been doing some solo episodes the last uh, couple of months. So experimenting around doing different stuff has been a lot of fun, but it's uh, I'm very grateful for my listeners, for people who want to listen and talk about mental health. And it's uh, we try to make it entertaining as well. Yeah. I did get a chance to listen to a few episodes and I, uh, I did enjoy, I enjoyed them quite a bit. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so what, if What's a good way to describe what you do? Um, sure. Yeah, so, so some of what we do is now like uh, almost memefied where you basically bring a professional on to analyze something that's happening in pop culture and say, you know, how real is this? Um, but we've been doing it for over a year now. Um, basically, I, uh, as a therapist, um, and then I bring on a guest who sometimes is a mental health expert, sometimes is a, um, like I have an episode coming out next week with a, uh, professional wildfire firefighter and we break down a uh, movie or documentary about firefighting and we talk about the mental health issues amongst firefighters and first responders so that's kind of an example of a typical episode where I'm going to break down um, mental health aspects of something that we're seeing in pop culture so um, whether that's movies tv shows books conversations happening on social media my last episode um, was actually all about the world of professional wrestling. Um, we and that about, is one of the ones I listened to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we just take something that people are exposed to in popular culture and we say, okay, there are surely mental health aspects to this as there are with everything. And we try to break it down for people to understand um, in a normal language kind of way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that definitely sounds accurate based on what I've, what I've heard. Um, so, uh, you've been doing the show for a few years. Uh, we've also been doing the show for a few years. Yeah, I saw it. Great. Our uh, 
our output kind of varies based on my crippling depression. <laughs> um, That's true. Back back in the old days, uh, like we we actually we did a we did a show on mental health. Uh, awesome. And unfortunately, we had audio issues that show, and it was really good. Um, <laughs> which uh, that kind of blew. Well, it was one of the first. It was one of the first ten podcasts we had done. And, wow! And every once in a while, man, I mean, you get you get a court, and you you don't hear the static come over, you know, over the headphones. And uh, it, there was just there was just a little bit of static that's that kind of screwed it up because it was it was really well done. I mean. Uh, because Zach was like getting personal about about his his own uh, mental health battle, um, and thankfully I think some of that's going better these days. I think, but maybe yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe he hides it better. He does a lot of self medicating. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're I'm not sure what you suggest about self medicating, but but Zach he's uh, he's into uppers and downers and I do some self medicating and I do some doctor medicating and sure. you, know, you sprinkle it. As you long as you find a mix that works for you. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's it's a cocktail. It's certainly a cocktail, but it's not always the same cocktail. I so, find that so some days after about thirty minutes, his eyes his eyes glaze over. Well, what I, <laughs> what I can still see of his eyes, and he just slowly like he's just like melting over there. Mm. And other days well, he does a good job. Well, as a therapist, I know I'm not in a position to judge. I just say, hey man, if it's working for you and it's not affecting anyone else negatively. Uh, fantastic. So I definitely find that just boatloads of ketamine, really. <laughs> uh, it it really br <laughs> brings it under control. Although, actually, I have read that that is an experimental treatment that they're doing, where they give people like high doses of ketamine, and it it's a very yeah, it's a very exciting time for uh, unique treatments: ketamine, mushrooms, uh, e um, excuse me, uh, ecstasy. Um, all signs of things are being experimented with, and a lot of them uh, with really promising results. So it's, hey, you know, what what once was self-medicating will soon be doctor-medicating, I'm pretty sure. So it's not so and, bad. And I will say, as someone who may or may not have personally taken MDMA a decent number of times, I 100% understand the therapeutic value of it. Uh, like, definitely, definitely get it. <laughs> from a doctor in a controlled study preferably but yeah i mean sure it's all sure <laughs> yeah he's a pharmacist you want to be safe kids <laughs> what uh no uh but yeah no i've uh i've had a very very long and difficult uh time time with that uh yeah, well, well, talking about it is is one of the best things you can do, and I can I can honestly even relate on the the podcast production side of things. It's not easy to to keep making stuff when you're not feeling good about yourself, or in some cases, the work that you're doing. So I, I give you guys a lot of credit. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we appreciate it. I mean, it's mostly me. I pretty much do everything, but <laughs> Jesse's more of a long running guest than anything oh, okay. else. <laughs> Yeah, Zach's a son of a bitch. I tell you one thing. But uh, yeah, no, it it does get it does get pretty difficult to uh, to produce when uh, th things are going so poorly. But at times, you know, Jesse and the podcast have been through some pretty dark times with me, and that's been it's been helpful at times. 
Yeah, and, and it's tough right now during the uh, lockdown, coronavirus, quarantine stuff where I think everyone's like, oh, with all this extra time, you know, we should be able to be making stuff at a higher clip, right? What's the, the meme that goes around is like, Shakespeare wrote Macbeth and two other things during whatever uh, uh, quarantine situation he was in during the plagues or something. And why aren't we creating amazing works of art at the same time? Uh, that's a lot of pressure. Well, the answer is we are. We are creating our best work. <laughs> well, most of us are so busy fighting about the quarantine. That's true. That's <laughs> that, uh, also true. That it probably sidetracks us from actually getting anything really done. That's a great point. Shakespeare did not have to argue with people whether or not they should wear masks at their local grocery store. He was able to just lock himself in and write himself. Yeah, I mean, with a, and that's the thing, because most of, I mean, I, I never, they, uh, maybe there was two weeks, it was two weeks where we, uh, we were off work. But other than that, I mean, I've just been working normal the whole time. And really, the only reason we were off work is just, it wasn't even because of the quarantine exactly. It was just because you know, um, my, you know, my company, they hadn't done nearly as well. So they were just trying to get out of paying two weeks of pay, you know, and sure. had, had the federal government do those two weeks. And um, so it just made it a little bit easier for them. <laughs> I'm a, I'm actually, I'm an aerosol scientist um, oh, cool. full time. And so Corona has made uh, my work popping. Uh, because we test a lot of like um, air purification systems, oh wow, um, decontamination devices, things like that. So now everyone and their mom is making some kind of air purifier, some kind of UV bullshit. Um, which, it, by the way, just for everyone out there, if if you ever see an air purification device that its main mechanism is UV, don't. It's it's nonsense. So if I see a necklace on Instagram that claims to like give me a, a five foot radius of clean air, that's not a real thing. You know what? We've tested one of those, <laughs> um, and and the way those work um, is they have little electrostatic brushes in them, and it charges the particles around in the air allegedly. Sure. Okay. Um, and it charges them so it sticks to surfaces. So, I mean, they're teeny tiny brushes. So the amount of air that you're actually breathing in that is going in contact with that brush, it's really minimal. What if you put it in your mouth? If you, <laughs> if you put it right under your face, it'll, it'll work more. But the thing is, it's not killing anything. It's sticking it to surfaces. Right. So it's really just going to be putting virus on your face and shit. Or closer to your face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that, sounds, that sounds like it probably works then, right? Huh. It does not work at all. I would not. You are just wasting your money, throwing it down the drain. <laughs> I can't believe Instagram is not a reliable source for medical supplies. Yeah, you. Yeah, those things are just the biggest load of horseshit. You wouldn't believe it. Anything you wear on yourself on your face that says it does anything does not do anything. So, how long have you been a? Uh, you say you were a therapist. I am a therapist. Yes, I am a by by trade. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I have been in the mental health field for probably like 15 years now in different capacities. I've been uh, doing individual therapy 
as a, uh, you know, individual therapist, probably, um, let's see, five, six, seven years or so. Okay, so you've studied in the field for quite a while then. So yes, you, I have. But it's, not like it's, yeah. it's not like, hey, I worked in it for a year and I've just been talking about it since or something. No, no, I, uh, I got a, a fascinating internship at an uh, inpatient substance abuse facility in college um, at, the, at probably like 20 or 21, and I got a job at that place uh, as I graduated, and I've been in mental health or substance abuse or some, some combination of that ever since. So I've been inundated in the uh, mental health world for a long time now, which is um, where I draw all my wisdom from, so-called wisdom. What pushed you that direction? You know, it's funny. I, I've always had just a natural fascination with um, why people do the things that they do and how people think. Um, so in undergrad, when I, you know, started to, I did go to, to, to school undergrad for psychology, um, but then sort of gradually shifted into wanting to kind of be on the front lines of actually helping people change their behavior, change how they think. Um, so getting that opportunity at a substance abuse facility, it really makes things black and white of, you know, people solving their problems, as we said before, self-medicating, thinking that what they're doing is, is helping or serving them in some positive way. But obviously it's gotten bad enough that it's caused more problems than it's solving. Um, and that really affirmed, you know, my belief and desire to want to help people, you know, identify what's working for them and keep doing that stuff and find or even experiment with things that could work for them better than the ways that they are trying to help themselves now. Yeah. And I can speak from personal experience that uh, substance abuse is a tough one. Um, now, you know, straight up, I may or may not smoke weed still, but uh, you know, in the past I've, <laughs> I've, you had a if, if it's a, if it's out there, I probably tried it. <laughs> well, yeah, and, there, and there's a spectrum, right, of of use and abuse and casual use and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, for me, the people that I was working with that are inpatient substance abuse, this is you know years of of problems, legal problems, family problems. You know, we're talking about serious consequences that people have experienced in most cases. Um, so, you know, where we're headed with things like, as we talked about before, um, treatment based on uh, hallucinogens, treatment based on marijuana, CBD, things like that. I, you know, there's a lot of shifting in how we look at substances, not just as being problematic, but as also being, you know, part of the treatment process. So it's, uh, for me, it's, we're headed in a very positive direction away from the war on drugs and things like that. Yeah, I mean... If if it works, it should be utilized. You know, there's. Well, I mean, if we're gonna let alcohol be legal, I mean, if there's a, it seems like I'm kind of on on a lot of these issues. I'm more libertarian. Sure. Um. So some of these, I mean, I may not necessarily agree with, but I mean, putting the law out there, I mean, it doesn't really it doesn't really prevent these people from taking it anyway. So it seems like we should be trying to help the reasons why they're taking it. Absolutely. Like that's where we should fight that war instead of. Uh, punishing the people afterwards. Um, I don't yeah, know. Half, yeah, half the battle is the is the stigma and and like society's treatment of people who use the drugs. Um, you know, if you look at 
Um, countries like, I want to say Portugal is one of the biggest ones that decriminalize most um, substances and narcotics. Um, and they see, you know, certainly there's still some substance abuse issues, but the sort of criminalization of it, the treatment of people who struggle is just completely different. So we, we have so many different examples of places to look at where this issue is treated differently and well, probably better. Yeah, we got to get away from the idea of the whole bad and good, you know, because exactly. yeah, it's totally not a, it's not a exactly, you know, the people <laughs> that are doing this effort are bad. I mean, there's a reason why they're gravitating towards um, towards that direction, you know, and I, I listen to a lot of Jordan Peterson and I'm not, you know, you may not, you may not like him at all, but they, he's at least talks about different studies, you know, with, with mice and, and mice said, I, I believe I could totally get this wrong. So don't, don't quote me on this. Sure. But I believe that the mice that, you know, that were, were around other mice and could play with other mice and were around like that kind of stuff. Like it was a, they did like the study of trying to get them addicted to, I believe cocaine. Yeah. And then when they separated those mice, you know, it made them it like almost like put them in uh, like a mode of like depression mm -hmm. where it was very easy to get them addicted to cocaine yep. because, because they couldn't, you know, there was, you took away part piece of their life that they needed, you know, and, and I, I would imagine it's, it's very similar that humans do it for a lot of the, a lot of the same reasons, you know, like it's not, if you have the most healthy life, you have a great, you know, you have a great family, you get friends, you get, you get this network of people you know, you have these uh, aspirations, you have all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's much more difficult to get someone like that addicted to some kind of a substance. Right. But the, the other part of that study is, if we're talking about the same one, I'm pretty sure is... I'm dumb. So it's... When, no, no, no. I'm no. just going to say yes. Yeah. So you're, <laughs> the other part of that study is when you try to get those mice addicted, but then you let them live in like a mouse park or a rat park where they can socialize and there are games and to kind of games. There are toys and things they can play with, things they can run on it was much more difficult to keep them addicted, to keep them coming back. Yes, because that, they that had other stuff. Yeah, there's other stuff for them to entertain themselves with, other things for them to socialize. So yeah, it's, it's a huge part of the battle. It's just um, like giving ourselves variety of how we cope or how we uh, entertain ourselves, for example. And I, you know, from personal experience, definitely the depression definitely drives a sense of uh, isolation and loneliness yep. and, and that is that's a very crushing uh, thing feeling uh, that's that's one of the that's honestly one of the hardest aspects at least in you know in my experience that's been one of the hardest aspects of of dealing with stuff is just because is is that sense of isolation and loneliness yep and, and just like that mouse or rat in the isolation tank, you know, we keep ourselves in that place sometimes when we're in, when we're stuck in depression or anxiety or PTSD. Um, so half of my work with people is kind of convincing them that um, that stuck feeling is self-generated um, or generated from the depression, right? Mm -hmm. And we have to kind of reteach ourselves of what's possible, what's actually out there um, through experimentation, through... Um, you know, reaching out for help through obviously using therapy and things like that. So, so yeah, it's, it's, these are subjects I'm very passionate about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm also pretty passionate about it because I know it's very hard for people to talk about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't necessarily have that problem. <laughs> uh, if anything, I'm, I'm uh, inclined to overshare. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 
it's really because you know I talk to other people who are who are dealing with you know wh- whatever. I'm actually um I'm uh, I'm bipolar too. So okay. um that's that's where I'm at. Mostly just severe depression. Um, but I talk to other people who are you know dealing with stuff, and it you tend to feel like you're you're the only one experiencing these things like that this is unique to you yeah and i started talking to people and they start talking about you know the things they're feeling and the thoughts are going through their head and i can finish their sentences mm-hmm. i'm like yeah and then you think this and you think this and they're like wow yeah and i'm like yeah you're other people are like this you're not <laughs> yeah so true um and that's why you know it's unfortunate right because in the time of of quarantine, you know, sometimes that social interaction, that getting that uh, relating experiences from other people is sometimes some of the best things that we can do for ourselves. So we got to find alternative sources of that uh, connection. You know. Do you think the, because uh, it seems like, you know, the more interconnected the world is becoming, the less connected we are as humans. Do you think that it's only going to lead to more, um, and this may be a totally off the wall question, but just more addiction in the future because it seems mm. like it seems like we're moving farther and farther apart, right? Con- considering we can do everything now from a, from our couch, where we can interact, playing online video games, you know, or watch pornography anywhere, or do or do whatever we want to do without really having to interact with a lot of other people, right? Like you're, you're, it seems like you're getting you're getting more and more young males who are not out there dating and whatnot. They're playing video games you know, just watching porn instead of going out there trying to find <laughs> sex, you know, and, and things like that. It just seems like, um, it seems like that's part of the recipe because they're, these people are already basically self-isolating in some ways that, that, that seem, uh, perfect for, for the, a downward spiral to addiction. Yeah. It's funny you say that, you know, it's like the next big, um, and you're starting to see this in the addiction world, like the next big thing that is being treated is internet addiction and, and video game addiction. Because it is, um, and, you know, I, I call it addiction. It's really just uh, kind of what we were talking about before with, uh, with other substances where there is a lot of good that these things can provide us. But the way that we use them often does more harm than good. So, you know, it's like, what are we in web 2.0, 3.0? You know, it's it's something that is interesting to watch where, you know, obviously my work is now all 100% remote now. So I'm doing therapy through the Internet. So um, hopefully the things that we're seeing change in terms of how we use the Internet, how we use our devices continues to evolve to where it's not just uh, distraction, not just um, sort of self-indulgence, but it's also. Uh, opportunities to connect or different or new ways to connect, whether that's going to be virtual reality or, um, you know, like pre-quarantine, you know, I was uh, preaching, you know, to people that I work with, things like meetup, um, things like that, where yes, we use the internet, but as a way to find other things in the real world that are going to help us connect with people in a more genuine way. I, I, I'm, you know, pretty adamant in the stance that, in a lot of ways, the connecting, the connected fliss. <laughs> I'm not sure um, that was a word, but keep going. <laughs> the connectedness of, of that social media and things like that, you yeah. know, uh, 
provide, I think, I think it's a net negative, honestly. Um, because I know, you know, I've done God. I've been in therapy five or six years. Um, and you know, over, over time I've picked up a few, uh, somewhat healthy coping mechanisms and i know that when when i'm starting to go downhill one of the first things i do is get rid of the social media on my phone mm-hmm. because it's gonna make it worse no doubt no doubt <laughs> yeah well um, i mean their social media in general though it, it, beca- it can become a very negative uh, echo chamber of, of certain ideas you know and just the way people because you, you don't treat people like this in real life like there's a lot of people right. who I'm, I'm guessing maybe, maybe they harbor resentment or whatever. Like they, you know, there, there are already people who don't say how they feel right in mm-hmm. real life. And they, maybe they feel like they're being trampled a little bit and then they act out online. So people, you never, you never treat people like this. I mean, most people don't anyway. You're not going to just, you're not going to just laugh at everything they say, you know, when they're trying to, when you're trying to have a face-to-face conversation, you're, you're typically not going to just be an asshole, you know? So it, it takes away that human element of it. And it, I don't know, like, I mean, I'm, maybe eventually we will, we will catch up, you know, and we'll get a little bit better in how we use social media, you know, and we're just kind of going through a phase right now. Like, you know how the sixties and seventies were with drugs. Yeah, I mean, yeah I, exactly. I wasn't alive then, but all the free sex and drugs from what I hear, it sounded like a great time, <laughs> but it sounded like they kind of overindulged. So right. maybe there'll be a point where we keep learning and keep getting better. And eventually we're able to incorporate it better in our lives. Yeah, 100%. I, I, one of the things I work on um, with people when it comes to the internet being a problem is to, to use, whether it's social media or, or other apps or internet in general, uh, with a sense of intentionality, right? And not just sort of mindless scrolling or um, that sort of passive um, taking things in is that, oh, um, I want to go on Facebook. Okay, why are you going on Facebook right now? If the answer is I don't know or because I just want to see what's going on, that it's probably not what you need right now. But if it's, I want to talk to someone, I want to connect to somebody, I want to share a cool thing I made, I want to uh, consume uh, something that people that I know that create stuff um, made, great. But if it's just mindless, um, you know, no sense of purpose, yeah, it's only going to feed your worst impulses about yourself and, and for people with anxiety, depression, it's going to be negative, negative assumptions. Well, you're going to fall into comparison. You're going to fall into, um, you know, like you said, uh, you know, uh, mistreating people, projecting uh, all kinds of uh, negative stuff starts coming out. Yeah. And, and honestly, what, what I see a lot and what I fall into a lot too, which is, and, and it's, it's funny because I know how stupid it is. Um, is you know well a you know everybody loves an audience and how how easy is it to get 30 people in a room to listen to everything you're about to say very true uh and you know when when you're in front of an audience you put on a show a little bit um but there's also there's also this almost there's there's been some kind of worth uh associated with the response you can get how many likes on instagram you can get how much you know essentially how much attention yeah you can get um you know uh when i when i 
rarely post something on Instagram and I get my seven likes, it's depressing for me, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, I just see that. And, you know, there, there's gotta be a way to move past that because it's honestly, it's going to keep making people feel worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And, and my hope is that we do continue to evolve sort of how we use this stuff. Um, and it's interesting because in all the worst corners of the internet, there's also, you know, for every app that's used or abused in, in negative ways, there are also positive communities and positive corners of those same things. So, um, you know, if you seek out support, if you seek out communities where you want to benefit from the conversation, that's just as available as all the negative stuff is. Yeah, the good stuff. The good stuff you have to seek. The the negative yeah, stuff. The negative point. stuff is right in your face, right? Yeah. It's just like it's just like oh, here's a whole splurge of bullshit, and and it doesn't really. I'm gonna be. It doesn't really affect me, um, because I I I don't I I don't make the I don't correlate what happens on social media with real life, because it's not real. Like right. I mean, it it may seem like it's real. It may seem like this couple's happy and those people are happy, or or this is going on and this person's posting this kind of pictures or doing whatever and getting all these likes. It may seem like it's real, <laughs> but I mean, it is it is just a, it's just a facade and and. Um, so I, I try not to let it get to me in that manner because um, whatever. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I try to have, I, I do have a lot of conversations online, especially on, on Facebook and, <laughs> and it's intentionally. So I try to have intelligent conversations with people. Mm-hmm. But then I have some, you know, there's, there's a, a certain amount of trolls, you know, and I'll never block them because I'm not going to let them win. They want me to block them <laughs> so they can post on their page. Oh, this guy, you know, I totally got to him. <laughs> So I just let them go and I just, I just make them look stupid, which maybe that's not the best way to do it. And if I can try to, if I can try to get through like something serious, because eventually, you know, if sometimes if you fight with someone enough, eventually they calm down a bit and you can get to like actually the, the heart of their argument, you know, or, or maybe they're, you know, maybe they're just trying to be a jerk off, you know, and eventually you get to something that's real in a conversation. And I don't mind fighting with someone to get to that point. Yeah, right. So if, if you see yourself as as uh, as an advocate, as someone who is trying to do good or make good, um, yeah, there's certainly opportunities for that. But but yeah, a lot of point, a lot of people, to your point, Jesse, are just uh, out there to cause problems and get attention and uh, get blocked on purpose. Yeah, it's it's a lot of crazy stuff out there too. <laughs> and you know what? It's funny because um, I. This was almost once a sort of political current mm. events type show. Sure. We've, moved, we've moved away from that because, I mean, at least especially currently, our philosophy is every single fucking person on earth is talking about Trump and coronavirus. Who the hell wants to listen to us talk about it too? What do we have to say about it that someone else isn't saying? You know? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but, oh, shit. I was going somewhere. I, I was going to say, was that the jump off point to something else? <laughs> no, I, that was a side thought. And <laughs> I, I completely lost so, where I was going. There are things, I mean, it's not that obviously we're not doctors. Um, so we're, we, you know, it's not like we can give, you know, all the, all the best information on coronavirus that you couldn't get somewhere else. 
but it is it is fascinating like the amount of people that don't trust the government so they're to the, they're the mm-hmm. point now where they're like well maybe i don't want to wear a mask you know or mm-hmm. or you know or you're not going to make me wear a mask or i'm not going to take the vaccine you know and, and i actually i don't get pissed off at these people because i get where they're coming from you know when when you have things happen like where fauci was saying you know even though they knew even though they even though they knew at least that it helped someone when they say like don't wear a mask and then eventually a month later he says wear a mask it just feeds into that already like conspiratorial thing that's going on right now in social media. Oh, it feeds the hell out of that. Like it's just this ravenous beast, you know, of, of, of stuff. And it, you know, and they catch, they catch on. So everything like my whole, my whole social media, it's like, uh, it's about masks and, and freedoms and pedophilia. <laughs> like that's what, like all of it's right now because I, you know, like, Oh, they're, they're doing this to hide these, this pedophile ring of, of uh, Hollywood actors and all, and all this Epstein stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'll bring it back to mental health. Cause like all this, all this, this action that we see for me is based out of, it's based out of emotion, right? A lot of it's based out of anger. A lot of it's based out of fear. And when people, see things that validate those emotions, they're going to act in a more intense way in some direction or another. Um, so, you know, if we see people's actions through that lens is like, okay, that person is probably afraid. What are they afraid of? Um, or that person is probably angry. Well, a lot of times anger is also based out of other emotions, right? Anger is the surface thing that um, comes in hot, but most of the time there's other stuff under the surface of like, why we can't handle or tolerate the other things that we're feeling. So it's just a tough, it's a tough time for us to all be, uh, you know, cooped up indoors and feeling our feelings and <laughs> yeah. bouncing off of oh, each yeah. other. Well, there's, there's just so many things going on right now. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, cause we already had the election, the election coming up, right? And yeah. people, I mean, everything, everything, I mean, anxiety was high about what would happen you, already in the election. And then you have coronavirus and then you have just the, I mean, I mean Massive amounts of, of unemployment. Yeah, and, and then the massive amounts of protests. All the or the. Dude, you just you just. I'm mean, there's so much there's so much stuff piled on top of other shit right now. Yep. And it's like this is this is not normal life. Well, I mean, maybe for some it is, <laughs> but it's it's not a it's not normal. And it's just it causes it causes things to go a little crazy, and it causes yeah. people to get a little bit more and more radicalized. <laughs> when I when I deal with the bad light, and it's just like. Because I mean, I'm I'm typically pretty chill. I don't I don't smoke weed like like old Zach does. But <laughs> did you ever think of your point, Zach? Because you yes, I did. I okay. remembered it. Mm. What I was gonna say is, and I I guess I can't recommend everyone do this, but I what I did was you know engaging in all these current events and all this and all the politics. Uh, I I very much realized it was bad for me. And, um, I, because, you know, it, it, it can be depressing. I mean, it's very doom and gloom these days and it has been for quite a while. Yep. Um, it's a lot of anger and it's a lot of people being frustrated and upset. And, uh, I just found that, you know, it was definitely not good for me. Uh, and so, you know, I just, I, I took a step back, you know, uh, I'm not trying to bury my head in the sand or anything, but I feel like, you know, someone's going to tell me what I need to know. <laughs> okay. right. yeah. I don't think yeah, you, no, that's good. I don't think you can bury your head in the sand uh, at this point. 
because the people won't let you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's be- bombarding, you know, even stepping back from it myself. I mean, I still get it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't avoid it entirely. You know, uh, when's the last time you went through a day and didn't hear something about Trump? I mean, when, really, when's the last time you went through a whole day and you did not hear Trump once? Um, it's, I mean, it's crazy that it's like that right now. It's just been. It's, well, uh, that being said, if you if you intentionally stayed off the internet, especially during quarantine, it wouldn't be that hard. <laughs> and and look, I mean, I, I I tell people this: it's like, um, you know, to the intentionality point, it's like, you know what you're gonna find when you go online, right? You know you're gonna hear Trump. You know you're gonna hear this. You know you're gonna hear that. Um, so and you still do. Point, <laughs> right. To your point, Zach, it's like, if this is what, if these are the choices that you're making, you know, you know, and it's like, after a while, that becomes a cycle of like, yeah, I know this stuff is going to make me feel uh, miserable. What was the term I heard the other day? Doom, doom scrolling, right? Um, <laughs> That's actually a really good term. Yeah. I'm, and it's, I'm not sure if I've heard that before. Yeah. Doom scrolling is basically what, what we're all doing at this stage. And it's like, okay, but we don't have to be right. Um, you know, we can uh, go for a walk around the block. We can, um, you know, just read books. <laughs> we can still do our work. You know, I'm lucky enough to be able to do um, work from home. And, you know, the people that I've been working with, it's like, we are seeing a lot of these cycles where it's like, oh, yeah, I think I'm getting a handle on this whole quarantine thing. And it's like, boom, this whole other thing comes through. And um, it's like, oh, no, now, now this is hard again. Or now, um you know, another issue you got to worry about. And yeah, it's, it's a lot to, to avoid the internet, to avoid television is not an easy suggestion to take, but I, I think it's sometimes that's the, that's the best treatment, at least as part of the process. Right. Yeah. And that was one of the big findings for me is that you can just fucking not. <laughs> Do you know much about the, uh, the human brain? Cause aren't we, aren't we almost geared more towards negativity in, in certain ways? What a general question, Jesse. <laughs> oh not, my God. That general of a question. But, Do you know that but, much but about the, the human brain? Yeah. But then I, then I followed it up with a, with a subsequent question about, about how we're more, uh, uh, geared towards negativity, you know, like, um, and I'm, I'm trying to think of the psychology behind it because I've read some pieces on that, but I just, can't, I can't remember all the specifics. So I was asking him, Zach, but thanks for being a jerk over there. <laughs> well, you know, I have studied the human brain a little bit, um, but, you know. It's, see, Zach, he had. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, so yeah, in terms of, you know, motivation, especially with negativity is a fascinating area of, of study. And basically, we are more motivated to avoid negative consequences than we are to chase positive things. Um, but even though that's the case, um, we are still attracted kind of like to the, to the car crash mentality. We're still attracted to wanting to see the negative things. You know, it's like, that's what schadenfreude is. Is like, I feel good about seeing crazy things that are not happening to me. So is that part of the whole doom scrolling mentality? Yeah, exactly. Because we're going looking for shit. Like we're like, I don't know, like it's almost compulsive in some ways. Yeah, because if you're lucky enough to to not have been affected by, uh, um, you know, uh, God, all the different things. I won't even name it. Everybody knows all the things are happening. If you're lucky enough to not be affected by any of those things right now, um, the lure of like wanting to see how crazy it is, wanting to see how bad it is, wanting to see how dramatic it is 
you know, it's like being back in high school and you hear the rumor that comes in about that person that you know, but that you don't have a personal relationship. It's like, yeah, that feels good. Tell me about what happened to that person I sort of know. Everybody loves drama. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Especially if it doesn't affect them directly. It's like we're all going on scrolling through stuff, filming our own drama, you know, about whatever that has nothing to do necessarily with us, but we're just so fascinated by by either what's happening, you know, hoping that it's everything's a complete dumpster fire or something. I don't know. It's 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 really bizarre. Yes, it is. It's uh it's a crazy time to be uh to in to be in my profession. I mean, I, I'm grateful to be able to offer uh, people support during this time, but it's also, you know, the the profession of therapy even has had to adjust uh, wildly over the past uh, four or five months from in person everything to now mostly online everything, unless you work in an inpatient facility. Um, you know, I'm doing therapy from my home office, and it's. It's similar, uh, obviously, you can see each other's faces, but I don't get body language. It's, and you know, people aren't as comfortable if they're in their home. Um, people have to go for walks to talk to me or sit in their bathroom. So it just kind of adds this whole other layer to how am I gonna be comfortable even talking about all this stuff I'm dealing with. That's what I was just about to ask about how, how well you think it, like how much effectiveness has dropped off not being able to meet with people in person. You well, know. for me, yeah, so it's interesting because as in the immediate aftermath of everything getting shut down, it was like people wanted to do phone sessions or video sessions. And now for me, I'd much rather do video sessions. At least I could see your face. At least I, I could see um, your, your facial expressions, some of your body language. Um, but then when the possibility was being discussed of going back to in-person but with masks, um, you know, that feels like actually a, a reduction in efficacy. Um, like if I if half my face you couldn't see, you know, you can only see my eyes and my eyes might be angry or intense, but I might be smiling and there's all these sorts of confusing things that therapists notice. Um, yeah. that, that I'm, I'm comfortable doing video therapy for as long as we need to. Um, but there's certainly been something lost. I would say most of my Patients acknowledge that, given the choice, they would love to be back in person if, if everything was comfortable and easy to do that. Yeah, recently, actually, my therapist has just has just done that. Is is said you can come back in person if you would like to, uh, but I think he's still mostly doing online stuff right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough choice. Um, well, I kind of want to get back to maybe just a little more general mental health stuff. Great, just, let's do it. Just, yeah. Uh, because you know i i talked to i talked to lots of, for some reason in my experience uh crazy people draw other crazy people uh i can't name a friend who doesn't have just some kind of terrible problem um <laughs> uh I really you know i've got lots of other bipolar friends or people with all kinds of just trauma and nastiness but what I see a lot is people who are who I talk to who obviously there's, you know, there's things that are like trauma based or just, you know, whatever, just patterns of thinking that get ingrained to you, personality disorders. Sure. Um, and then there's obviously, you know, the other side of that, which is chemical. Um, I, I, I see people who definitely have, you know, a, 
a, a chemical thing there. Mm. People, what, what I see is that people are, a lot of people are extremely resistant to tr- treatment. Um, and people are extremely resistant to um, taking medication. Sure. Uh, they have, for some reason, there's there's a big difference to them between you know, and to me and to me, what I always say to people is that, you know, when you get a you know a upper respiratory thing, fucking strep throat, you don't hesitate to take antibiotics, you know, to sure. to to make yourself feel better. You don't want to be sick. Yeah. Um, and there it's the same thing, you know, with, with, uh, things like depression and bipolar or whatever it is. Uh, and, but there seems to be a big, it seems like people have trouble making that, making that makes, I guess, makes sense in their head. Uh, what in your experience, in your experience, like, why do you think people are so resistant to seeking, especially like, you know, medication and things like that? Yeah, it's a great question. For me, it all comes down to the self-perception that if I have a mental illness or something is wrong with me internally that I can't explain, um, that it's not like a respiratory infection. It's not like a broken arm. If I tell you I'm depressed, and this is unfortunately still true societally, People, a lot of people are going to respond either, no, you're not, or suck it up, or um, depression's not real, or, you know, all these, unfortunately, really negative perceptions, whereas if you just had a broken arm, you'd be able to say, here's my cast that I got at the hospital, my arm is broken. People would not say, uh, no, it's not, you're, you're fine, you look fine to me, um, you know, why did you do that, that you, don't, you don't need all that. Um, so it's a self-perception both from what's going to happen from uh, the societal or family response, but it's also the self-perception of weakness, right? That if it's an internal thing, it's something that I should just be able to think my way out of this problem. That if I'm just sad, well, I can just think about it and try to make myself happy. Um, but to your earlier point, if we could do that, we would just do it. Um, and we can't. It's not that simple. So people kind of trip themselves up with defining what the problem is and accepting what the problem is. Um, Because if they accept they have a problem that's internal uh, that they can't see and they can't explain, they don't want that to be true. So medication validates that fear. It's like, oh, I have to take this medication for happening to something inside my brain that I can't understand or see or, um, you know, uh, uh, grasp you know, in a physical, tangible sense. So something's just wrong with me, right? I'm just weak. I'm just broken. And all these really negative perceptions, I think, come along with it, both because of societal perceptions and and in many cases, like family perceptions. Um, So it takes a lot to overcome and accept that even though you can't see this or understand this problem, that this medication could still help you. And it's worth... um, you know, giving yourself that opportunity of a better life, even if you don't fully understand what the medication is doing for you. And yeah, uh, I've, and I also, you know, when you're, at least I know for me, when you're in the, in just the deepest throes of depression, when you're just 
rock bottom. Um, and there's that chemical component. It becomes very difficult to discern what pieces are in your head. Sure. And what pieces are real. Mm. Yeah. If that makes sense. What, you know, are how many of these problems that you're dwelling on are, are in your head are, and to what degree is, you know, that chemical component feeding that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and like what I always say is that like the way I see medication is, you know, when you've got something going on in your head, it's like you're driving a car stuck in first gear and medication is a way to get you up into third gear or something, get you where you're going a little bit quicker and, and, and help you analyze and look at, okay, what are the, what are the thought patterns that are hurting me? What are, what are the actual problems of things that I need to change in life? Yep. Uh, That's how I've always looked at it at least. Yeah. I like that. Uh, You know, I sometimes use the comparison of, of weather, right? Like, um, you know, if you're trying to uh, live your life, um, do do want to do your projects you want to do in your backyard outside, let's say, um, or you want to be more active outside, but in your head, it's always raining, but that's only your perception. Um, that's only your depression talking. You can't convince yourself on your own that it's not raining, but medication might be able to lift that perception to give you that, that extra or that, that, you know, all slightly altered perspective, that slightly altered feeling, that slightly altered mood. So then you can say, oh, wait, maybe this, maybe I feel a little bit better today. Maybe I can exercise. Oh, I feel a little bit better today. Maybe I can talk to that person. Maybe I should go to therapy. And just lifting that cloud a little bit can give you the energy or, uh, or lifted mood or slightly altered perspective to be able to do the things you need to do from a behavioral perspective that are going to then give you results to reinforce that new behavior, that new lifestyle that ends up, you know, fighting the repression more effectively. Yeah. Um, and, and I was lucky enough to, uh, have a supportive family who didn't, who didn't try and push me away from getting that kind of help. But I have seen lots of friends whose families um, are, are like that and, and are very much, you know, it's just something you need to suck up. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, and, and, you know, and just, just real quick, because the reason families do that is because those are parents or sisters or brothers or grandparents who, if they accepted that you were anxious, depressed, or had trauma, that they would feel guilty for it. They would feel like they contributed to it in some way, shape or form. So if someone's telling you, you don't have a problem or it's not that bad, it's because they would feel bad if the problem you feel like you're having was true. So just kind of sit with that, let it be true for you, and don't worry about whether or not other people accept it, and see if if treatment will help, whether they believe it will or not. Anyway. Yeah, and and I I definitely can you know say for sure that you know getting a diagnosis is um it's it's I don't want to say scary, but it's a very difficult thing to hear. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to accept that, you know, to some extent I'm going to be dealing, you know, with bipolar disorder for, you know, my entire life. Yep. Um, 
that's very that in and of itself is very depressing and very um very hard to hear mm-hmm. um and i can't say i don't understand having an aversion to you know uh not wanting that confirmed mm-hmm. uh, that's that's it's a hard thing to do yeah it is it is a hard thing to accept the whole the whole lifetime no cure thing but I look at it, you know, we, we, we try to compare it to body, like physical health things, because there are real comparisons here where, you know, people who discover at points in their life that they have diabetes or that they have certain types of food allergies, there are no cures for those things. Those are conditions that they will learn to live with for the rest of their life. But if they accept the treatments, you know, whether it's insulin or a different diet, then their life is then improved and they start to notice the problem itself less. It just becomes part of the thing that, you know, of their life, part of the thing they have to live with. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, I mean, I guess the whole point of treatment is just to make things as manageable as possible. Um, and you know, it that's that's a really tall task and i i've definitely found that you know especially in the medication realm and i know you're not a psychiatrist but uh especially in the medication realm that the treatment is so complex and so mm-hmm. difficult yep um it can be extremely discouraging um and a lot of people i found have a lot of trouble advocating for themselves and have trouble telling their doctors that this is making them feel worse or that, um, that, you know, or they have their psychiatrist telling you, well, you know, you need to just keep going. It'll, it'll start to work. And it's like, people have a lot of trouble being like, no, you don't know. And I try and tell people a lot that, you know, you're your own biggest advocate Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can't, you can't just be passive in your treatment and just trust that, every, you know, everyone knows exactly what you need. Uh, but yeah, it seems like people have a lot of trouble doing that. Yeah. Cause it's this really hard balance to find between trusting someone who's going to give you medication that's going to affect your brain and wanting and, and trusting your own feelings and instincts to be able to say, this is my experience on this medication or just in general. And I need you to incorporate my experience into whatever treatment you're giving me. Um, so it's like, you're not, you, you are giving uh, uh, power and control over to someone, but you also have to very much own your experience within that treatment. If you're going to get an effective result. Yeah. I, I mean, and I hate to disparage the field, but uh, <laughs> I've been, I've been to, a lot a lot of psychiatrists um because quite frankly a lot of them are pretty big pill pushers Mm. um and and i want i want effective treatment but if i can avoid being on four different fucking things i i want to do it you know um yeah and i just i i know a lot of people have have trouble you know advocating for themselves and making making a change they just feel stuck and you know i've had 
like probably my third psychiatrist. He wanted to put me on SSRIs again. Mm. Well, I'm sorry, I'm bipolar. They will make me go completely crazy. And I, I had to fight him on it. I had to be like, no, I'm not taking these. It's not going to work. I've been on four or five different ones, and they all make me go nuts. And right. people just have a lot of trouble, you know, I mean, because you're ingrained to, you know, implicitly trust your doctor. And to a certain extent, I mean, they are the medical professional. You have to trust them a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But – you know, you know yourself better than anybody yes. as well. Agreed. Yeah, it's a tough balance. I've also know. heard lots of therapy nightmare stories. I've oh, heard... yeah. yeah. There are tons of them out there, unfortunately. But, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've I've heard, you know, lots of stories where, you know, people are talking about going to therapy and their therapist is, like, making them cry and feel guilty and, you know, and uh, luckily that hasn't been my experience and I've been through a number of therapists as well. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, uh, if you went and had that experience, man, how much of an aversion would that create to try anything else again? A big one. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an unfortunate reality uh, with seeking any kind of treatment is that you're going in hoping what you're going to get is, what is going to be helpful. Um, and that's why I always tell patients to, again, to your point with psychiatrists, to advocate for yourself. Also do a little bit of research if you have a sense of uh, what kind of treatment or what kind of therapist you want. Ask for that, advocate for that. You know, it's not possible everywhere, but um, that's why my first session with everyone, um, I tell my patients, you know, this is my therapeutic approach. This is how I think it would help you. If you feel like this is not going to work, tell me now and let me help you find someone who's going to be more appropriate for you because I don't want you wasting your time here either. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and, you know, when you're looking for a therapist, I always, you know, don't be afraid to get second opinions. Don't be afraid to call multiple to kind of see what different people say because you might – you might need to try one or two or three even before you find someone who really works for you and who's really comfortable. Yeah, I I, that's definitely been the case because I, you know, I've had to tell them, I'm like, if you're going to give me workbooks and like shit like that, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. It's not going to help me. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe it would help me, but I'm not going to do it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, um, but no. And, uh, at least what I've done is, you know, my therapist, I've been with him for like five years. And awesome. so I'm still trying to find a good psychiatrist, but mm. I, I, I go off of him. He's the one who helps me find people because he knows everybody. Yeah, and uh, I know he won't send me anywhere. He wouldn't send his own kids. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, there are, there are horror stories out there, but um, there's also a lot of positive out there. So don't let the horror stories you know, um, convince you that uh, it's not worth trying or it's not worth looking because chances are if, you're, if your instinct's telling you you might need help, you got to trust that voice. Yeah. And, and, you know, one thing that I found that I don't think it's talked about a lot associated with this is there's, at least for me, there's, there's a lot of guilt associated with it. Mm. 
um, you know, I have, I've had uh, great parents, very supporting, always, you know, encouraged me to do whatever. Uh, and uh, it's hard to, you know, not feel guilty for like, what did they do to deserve this, you know, fucked up, <laughs> fucked up kid. Um, and, and well, it, I would argue that they didn't do anything and that you're not, it's not that you're fucked up. It's that there are things going on that are probably to a certain degree outside of your control that you're both working through. So, but yeah, but to your point, no, I know it's guilt is a, is a heavy part of this, both for the individual's, in treatment in a lot of cases as well as families and partners but um because i know there's guilt i'm on my you know on my parents and too feeling like is this somehow their fault what did they do wrong sure um and you know it's hard to you know you don't want to make people feel like that Um, of course and it is hard to verbalize that this isn't this is that it isn't you know their fault and it's a hard thing to believe i'm sure hearing it yeah yeah. What? What are you looking at? I don't know. And you just haven't talked. Why? No, I know. I was letting you guys go through that because I'm not. Uh, I'm not as familiar with it. You know, so I would just take us off course, <laughs> and we were doing good. We were focused on uh, on that piece of of mental health. Um. Yeah. Uh, if I mean, I guess if you had, if you had, you know, one thing to say to people who who are going, you know, through stuff and are not sure, you know, where to go, what what would you say? Yeah, so I always advocate for a a mentality or a perspective of curiosity that if you treat yourself or even your mental health with the sense of curiosity of, I wonder what happens when I try this, that that approach is going to eventually get you to something that works. And then for the record, it doesn't have to be therapy. As a therapist, I would love it if you went and sought therapy. But even if it's just, I wonder what would happen if I tried, you know, that meditation app that everyone's talking about. I wonder what would happen if I tried, uh, you know, intermittent fasting. I wonder what would happen if I tried, uh, you know, yoga. I wonder what would happen, you know. And if you take that approach, your emotions and your thoughts will respond differently to those different things. And you will get new experiences, new evidence, new data that is going to give you a sense of what, uh, what your needs are. And, you know, for people with depression, unfortunately, uh, and anxiety, trauma, this is all true. We get stuck in the same cycles. We do the same things. We interact with the same people. Um, we fall into the same habits and those habits are what keeps us oftentimes Mm. in that, uh, that status, whatever the, the problem might be. So, but if you're, if you're willing to be curious and to try different things to see what happens, a lot of times you're going to find a different result. So yeah, that's all I ask of people. That's, and that's one thing that I've definitely found that is, is definitely a, a tough part of it is that the depression is very c- cyclical and that, and that, you know, being depressed makes you feel like shit <laughs> well <laughs> like, and depression right it depression is going to yeah. tell you yeah it's, it tells you that nothing good's going to happen so it, it yeah it kills that sense of curiosity but uh, i mean i guess w- uh, what i mean is that yeah that you know the depression itself you know when you're aware of it it's like 
it, it stacks on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Now you're almost depressed that you're depressed. You feel like you yep. feel bad that you're depressed and, and yep. it's just adding, it's just stacking on top of each other. And there's layers of, you know, guilt and, you know, self-blame and just all kinds of nastiness. Uh, so it becomes yeah. kind of a vicious cycle. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, because, uh, uh, you know, to Zach's point, it's like even and this is true for people who start feeling good. Also, we, we warn people about the pink cloud effect. It's like if, if therapy starts to feel good, if medication starts to feel good, it's like, oh, man, I'm all better. Uh, whatever that problem was is now no longer the case. Um, and then you stop doing the things that you thought were uh, that made that shift happen. It's like you might feel great for a little while, but your body and your brain's natural tendencies are going to be to come back to this place that you've been in for probably weeks or months or years. So then the new behaviors, the new habits, the new treatment has to be given time to stick. Otherwise the old cycles are going to resurface. And, and I, and I do know that like when you're caught in that, in that really deep cycle of depression, it makes it hard to get out of, get out of bed and do the things that make you feel better. You know, for me, you know, going out and fishing and getting away from things, it's very healthy way for me to deal with things. makes me feel better. But when you're fucking want to (laughs) die, it's like, it's hard to will yourself to get out of bed and go do that thing, even though you know, it's going to make you feel better. Yeah, that's so true. It's, yeah, we, we we try to take willpower out of it um, through a lot of the the processes and therapy. But at, at the end of the day, it does come down to: Do you want to go back to therapy today, or do you want to take your medication today? And it's so easy, unfortunately, sometimes to say no. Yeah. Do you think mental health in general, like in terms of how many people have depression or this or that, do you think it's actually getting worse as we go along? Because my my real question is. Do you think the more we've removed humans from like the natural state, you know, the natural world, um, if it's if it's just having a negative effect because this is not what we're evolved for? Yeah, well, I, I certainly think that our environment uh, plays a big role with our mental health, and you know, not to bring it back to to coronavirus, but quarantine is does does certainly make our our natural ability to take care of ourselves uh, a little bit more complicated at the very least. Um, but yeah, you know, we talked about all, all the themes we talked about today, I think is making it more difficult to like have a successful, well-rounded uh, view of yourself, view of your environment, view of other people. Um, so yeah, it, it takes work. And that's why I honestly, and I'm, I've been in therapy, I've been in, in coaching uh, because I really think it's, it's an important uh, self-work that anyone can benefit from, even if you you don't feel like you have full-blown depression, um, just getting the opportunity to have that outside perspective on your uh, experience can be so valuable. So, yeah, unfortunately, oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> it, even even you know verbalizing the things you're thinking and the way you're feeling, a lot of times just verbalizing it yourself really makes you see you know see things more clearly yep totally agree um well we don't want to take up too much more of your time uh we've been here a minute so <laughs> i want to thank you uh 
thanks a lot for coming on. This was a great discussion. I was looking forward to it tremendously. Because uh, uh, this is something, you know, I've dealt with for quite a while. And I think it's important to talk about it. And Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I don't know if it was as funny or as entertaining as most of you guys' episodes, but I hope uh, I hope this was valuable for people. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. You know what? It's It, it was just fine. I uh, We don't have to be... Uh, we don't have to be superstars all the time. We can, all right. We can, take, we can get real. <laughs> all right. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming, man. I'm going to stop recording. Don't hang up on me quite yet. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Uh, and we're going to be straight killing it then, too. All right. Jesse, anything? <laughs> no, I mean, I appreciate, appreciate the conversation. Um, you know, it's maybe it's not as thrilling as sitting next to Zach every week. You know, I mean, God, I learn so much from him every week that uh, it just blows my mind. But it's nice to have somebody reputable on the show. I'll take that. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, actually, let me give you a quick chance. Go ahead and shamelessly oh, sure. plug plug your your thing and social media, whatever whatever you wanna whatever you wanna do. Awesome. I appreciate it. So my pop, my, uh, excuse me, my podcast is pop psych one Oh one P O P P S Y C H one zero one. And we are, we have that handle on all social media platforms. So, um, Twitter at pop psych one Oh one. We're not very active on Instagram. Um, we have a really good Facebook group. Um, if you want to join the conversation that we're having around some of our episodes, if you look up pop psych one Oh one, mental health chat, um, feel free to join us. We're happy to have you. And, uh, thanks for having this conversation. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks a lot, man. We'd love to have you back sometime and talk about some different things. Cause I think there's, there's just so much to talk about in this realm. Uh, but yeah. All right. Anytime. Thanks a lot. Yep. Yeah.